Hello, friends, and welcome to the Epic Human Podcast, and thanks for listening today. Today's episode features Ray Lee, musician and entertainer with Viserium, an electronic music duo that performs a live show unlike any you experienced before. Viserium creates sound from thin air using only motions and gestures, allowing fans to experience the music on an entirely different level, being able to both see and hear the sounds as they're being created. If you haven't seen it already, you've got to check it out. Ray gave up a prosperous white-collar career to move to Las Vegas with his best friend Michael, risk it all, and create Viserium. In this podcast, Ray discusses how he originally developed the core Viserium technology, how he weighed the difficult decision to leave the safe harbors of a stable 9-to-5 and pursue music, and what it's like day-to-day following his dream of reimagining audio and visual entertainment. I find Ray's story inspirational because he's found a way to incorporate his two primary passions, music and technology, and put them together in a truly novel way. I'm also impressed with Ray's risk tolerance. He's certainly taking the road less traveled, living the life of a creator, entertainer, and entrepreneur. Many people daydream about becoming a rock star, and Ray is actually doing it and succeeding. I recommend everyone check out their website and social media because the videos will blow your mind. I can't wait to see it live later this week at the Near Future Summit, an amazing annual event put on by the famous Zem Joaquin. Uh, It just so happens Ray also contributed the music to the Epic Human podcast. The music fits our Epic Human theme so perfectly, and everyone just loves it. We get all sorts of comments about the music, so thank you, Ray. We truly appreciate it. So I recommend everyone follow Viserium on Twitter, at Viserium, and online at Viserium.com that uh, the way you spell Viserium is V-E-S-E-R-I-U-M. So without further delay, please give it up for an epic human, Ray Lee. Hello, we are live with Ray Lee from Viserium. How are you doing today, Ray? I'm doing great. How are you, Joe? I'm doing fantastic. So Ray is uh, a DJ producer, technologist. Uh, some like myself would call him a music pioneer based in Las Vegas uh, with a uh, organization or a group called Viserium. And we're going to talk all about what that is. Uh, but first, I um, want to mention a few other things. One is Ray is also the uh, musical artist behind the Epic Human podcast intro and outro. Uh, so thank you, Ray, for, for uh, that music. We, we get a lot of positive feedback on that. Um, and also, Ray and I got connected through a previous podcast guest, Claire Coder. Uh, so thank you, Claire, for introducing Ray and I. Uh, so, so Ray, uh, the way we start most of these podcasts is wanted to ask you about uh, where you grew up, uh, what you were like as a kid, your, your origin story. Sure. Um, well, thanks for having me, Joe. Um, so I grew up, I was born in Ohio, um, but I didn't really live there for very long. Uh, my family moved to California right after I was born. And then after California to a suburb of Chicago, um, so that all happened before I was five years old. So basically from kindergarten on through all the way through college, I lived in uh, outside of Chicago, uh, about 45 minutes out in a Schomburg called Hoffman Estates. Um, and yeah, I've, what was I like as a kid? Honestly, I was kind of an awkward, I was kind of an awkward, shy kid that um, 
I was very, very much in my head um, mm. and had all big dreams. I was convinced in elementary school that I was going to invent perpetual motion um, and solve the world's <laughs> energy crisis and then uh, basically have it set for life. But <laughs> unfortunately, that didn't happen. Um, I feel like I feel like every kid, well, maybe not every kid, but a lot of kids, including myself, have had those similar thoughts as like, hey, wait a second. If we get some magnets or, you know, if we just create <laughs> yep. a really intricate, like, Lego marble set, we can create this perpetual motion machine. I, I know we can do it. <laughs> yep. I, I drew out the designs with magnets. Like you said, it was this wheel. Me and my dad went out and we actually bought the magnets and we tried to put it together. And I was I was disappointed when uh, the thing didn't spin. Just kind of sad. <laughs> well, good, good learning experience anyway. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I mean, the funny thing is that my dad is a physics PhD, and I later went on to study physics at uh, at Cornell. So um, that clearly was not uh, in uh, accordance with the law of conservation of energy. So did, was you? <laughs> that's really funny. So did your dad? Uh, was your dad just kind of humoring you, like, okay, let's let's try it, let's put this thing together? I think so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think <laughs> that. I mean, the fact that like you know he didn't he didn't just like crush my creative dreams, but kind of encouraged them. And uh, I was able to explore that on my own. Yeah, that sounds like the sign of a, of a good parent, let, letting you learn and, and helping you uh, go through that process. You probably learned way more than if you had just said, here, let me explain why that will never work. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, so cool. So, uh, so, so kind of Kind of shy in your head, uh, designing uh, innovative machines at an early age, and uh, and and was and was that like was you mentioned you you went on to study physics was physics something kind of in the middle school high school years that you were drawn to or what, what were you drawn to in those years? Yeah, uh, in middle school, uh, not really. I think I didn't start getting interested in physics until high school when I had a. A professor there. I'm not a professor, a teacher that um, that really opened up the subject to me. But I guess in middle school and elementary school, if you're asking about those years specifically, I mean, I can expand on like, I feel like I've always been trying to create different things. Um, a fun story is that uh, we went to like an interesting elementary school. It was a it was combined grade with um, basically like two. There were two grades that were combined and it was like this kind of like honors gifted program. So all the kids there were kind of weird, but we, uh, there was this one kid, uh, named David and he had this whole like choose your own adventure game where like every day people would come up to him and, uh, they would ask him to, to play this game. And the game would basically be like, uh, he had created this whole world in his head and he, uh, people would just talk to him and he would be like, okay, you're like in a forest, you know, you have this, what do you do? And like, he would keep track of how you moved along in this journey. Like it was just all like verbally, you know, communicated, but like he would keep track of everyone's progress and like everyone would go play this game with him, like to the point where like he was booked for like recesses ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like I was kind of always in the shadow of this guy and that like, I tried to create like 20 versions of my own game. I even like went, and made like an online message board forum to try to create this my own world. But I never quite took off in the way that his game did. And, and his game was called Boogie Maniac. <laughs> That's amazing. That's like a, uh, you know, even older school version of like Dungeons and Dragons, but it's all, it's all verbal. Wow. That's, that's, uh, that's amazing. And so do you ever, uh, do you ever keep in contact with David and thank him for 
kind of motivating you to be even more creative? <laughs> uh, I haven't talked to David in a while. I, I'm curious now as to how he was. I mean, how he is. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I keep in touch with a, a couple of friends from elementary school, but uh, not David particularly. And, and when did you start to get involved in music? Uh, I didn't get started with music until probably high school. Uh, the funny thing is my parents tried to make me um, basically learn piano when I was really young, but I was very much not into that. Uh, so I basically whined enough that my mom just kind of gave up on it after like less than a year. Um, <laughs> But the fun, I mean, I looking back on it now, like I really wish that you know I had actually picked that up earlier. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until high school that uh, I actually learned, like, started getting into music. And the thing is, like, I was always interested in music, even uh, as a kid when my mom tried to force me to learn piano. Uh, but I kind of, you know, out of stubbornness, and I guess that's just a general personality trait that I have. Um, I didn't want to like formally learn it. I wanted to just discover it on my own. Um, so I really actually wanted to mess around on the piano that we had at home. Um, but like I avoided the piano religiously because I didn't want to remind my mom that she was supposed to be giving me lessons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right. I see. So your rebelliousness uh, kind of overshadowed your curiosity at that moment. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. And and I think it was, you know, and I, I think I've changed a lot in this aspect, but uh, I used to believe that like I wanted to like derive everything on my own. Like I wanted to figure mm. out from scratch, like that was the proper way to learn things. Um, you know, I, that's not quite what I believe anymore, but that's what I believed at the time. So I wanted to kind of like figure it out on my own. So so how did you get into it in, in high school after all? Yeah, so that's actually what I ended up doing. Um, so in high school, after I was pretty confident that my, you know, I was old enough that my mom had long forgotten about piano lessons, um, I uh, <laughs> just started sitting down at, at our family piano um, and, yeah, just started pressing keys, banging on, like, different, you know, chord patterns or whatnot. I mean, I literally knew nothing about music. I was literally, literally just pressing keys. And, like, I actually took, uh, like, those these little, like, uh, plastic label stickers and just wrote out like the name of every key and like cut them into little squares and put them on the the piano keys to label them so I would actually know what key was what mm -hmm. and then uh yeah literally just through like sheer force of will I think I eventually started to come up with something that actually resembled music and then you know over time began to understand some of the concepts behind it wow and then did I mean, you could do that. You could take that to the extreme and like never learn to uh, to like read music and, and to like play other people's music. Is that the path you went or did you or through that path? Did you eventually, you know, get to that point as well where you could you could read music, you could you could follow along other people's music and play other things? Right. Um you know, so I, I can read music. Um, I'm not particularly like speedy at it. Um, you know, it takes me time and I have to think about it, but honestly, like it kind of this, uh, instead of propelling me into like a direction of like the typical, you know, what you might consider like a classically trained musician being able to do like read music, um, and write music, like on a staff with pen and paper. Um, I, it actually propelled me more in the direction of electronic music, which is kind of what got me to where I am today. 
Um, not, not so much like electronic music in terms of EDM or electronic as a genre. In high school, I was more focused on like orchestral and 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 kind of like cinematic soundtrack type music. Oh, it, basically what I created um, for the Epic uh, Human podcast intro. I mean, what you're using for that. Right. Um, I started writing that in high school. And basically, as I was learning piano and trying to play different things, I was frustrated at my inability to like actually play what I wanted to. So I started getting on the computer try to basically like write music on the computer and then found, you know, stumbled upon like different orchestral patches and virtual orchestras that I could control. Um, so that pushed me in the direction of uh, basically computer music production um, and computer music production is less about like uh, notes on a staff and it's more about like these, you know, like these different representations of how you draw notes um, on the computer. Hmm. Oh, that's fascinating. So my personal experience with music is learned guitar in late in high school, early in college, and never, you know, never got to the point where I could like read music in any way, um, but I could play it and, you know, I could go online and look up chord progressions and sing and whatnot. Um, so that whole world uh, of like reading music and being able to understand like what it, you know, what the math is behind music is is still kind of a mystery to me, um, and and I don't play that much anymore. But I always just enjoyed the process of creating and and just kind of that. I think that similar process of discovery and and kind of seeing where things where things go, and then also creating you know your own stuff from scratch. Um, and, and so I'm intrigued by, by this idea and, and kind of, the, it's kind of like a hack, right? You're, you're, you're bypassing the traditional process and you're going straight to kind of, uh, the, the creation aspect and, and putting together, uh, your own, your own creative projects. Um, so that's, that's pretty cool. So, uh, so when did you start, uh, creating music? Uh, was that in high school? Was that, and, and, and was the, can you talk about, uh, the the albums that you created yeah so like i mentioned in high school started teaching myself piano and then started writing music on the computer and then started kind of composing orchestral tracks on the computer mostly because that's kind of the genre of music and style of music that i was drawn to um as a kid and and still today uh, like i'm into these very cinematic epic big you know dramatic sounds um you know that you might associate with like a movie soundtrack or something um, but I never saw my music as like something that I wanted to be, you know, a soundtrack to something. I just enjoyed creating it and enjoyed listening to that type of music. Um, so, yeah, that's how I started with with music in high school. And uh, basically, you know, like I said about, you know, being a kid and wanting to like create perpetual motion or uh, create this like this world that would compete with Boogie Maniac that my friend made. I feel like I've always been kind of entrepreneurial in that I'm always just trying to bring things to life and uh i don't exactly remember when i decided to create an album but um one uh, i guess some point along the, the line i just uh started to work on it and uh yeah i uh, just kind of did the whole thing myself i uh just made it out of my bedroom um over uh you know probably working on it for a few months but most of the work happening over one of the summer breaks in school and then I, you know, designed the album art and got the CDs printed. I'm actually holding the CD right now because um, it's just sitting on my desk. Um, and yes, just started uh, printing that out and, just, you know, 
putting it online and trying to sell it at, at school and selling it at like my school book fair and to every friend that would listen to to me um spam them with it and yeah that was that was the story of that cool and then uh and then tell us about how you decided where to go to school and and uh and by school i mean college and and what you wanted to study there uh so yeah, I went to Cornell University. Uh, I was class of 2014 uh, studying applied physics, um, which was really physics in their engineering college. Um, and I think the biggest factor in doing that was really just indecisiveness on my part. Uh, basically, I knew I liked physics in, in high school, but um, I mean, I honestly feel like you don't really learn enough in high school to really get a sense of like what any of the subjects are. Um, but like back <laughs> in my high school days, you know, I was like, oh, physics seems cool. It's my favorite subject so far. So I knew I liked physics and science, but I didn't know if I wanted to go into straight physics or do engineering. So I was like, all right, this school has a program called, that happens to be called Applied in Engineering Physics. So <laughs> I can just do postpone the decision amongst which I want to do until I graduate. Split the difference, right? Uh, yeah, I, I had a I, I had a remarkably similar experience in that uh, I I liked math in high school, or, or at least I was good at it. I wasn't sure, like you know, what a career in math would look like. So I, I applied to Lehigh at, uh, to the math department, <clears throat> got in, and. And then afterwards, I was talking with someone and was like, hey, like, what do you, why do you want to be a math major? And I'm like, I, I, don't, I really don't know. And he said, hey, you might want to try like, uh, going to the engineering program because it's like you use math, but you use it to actually like, do stuff and build stuff. And, uh, and luckily, <clears throat> uh, my school had a, a pretty uh, pr uh, progressive philosophy around switching majors. So and, and it was in a different school and blah, blah, blah. But I basically just called them up and said, hey, I'm, I'm Joe Blair and I'd like to be in the engineering school instead. And, and they were kind of like, okay, you are now. <laughs> and so, so my whole like engineering career and, and trajectory was you know, hinged on such a, a small uh, decision. But anyway, I totally agree with you and your point about like in high school, uh, it's very difficult to figure out, like, hey, what do I want to do with my life? What do I want to study in college? It's 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 a big decision, and um, I feel like there's not enough thought or 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 structure around helping young people figure that out. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like I feel like uh, I feel like school is just very disconnected from what the real world looks like um and and part of that you know is, is, as i'm thinking about you know growing up as a kid just like part of that is just developing basic skills like social skills learning how to you know do addition and subtraction multiplication like basic life skills but i feel like um yeah there could probably definitely be more um done in schools to kind of really give people hands-on experience and, and at least a sense or taste of what different careers might look like I agree. And, and so I'm curious, uh, you know, you were so into music uh, at that age. Did, did that play? A, was that a factor in, in determining your decision about like where to apply for school or whatnot? Like, did you consider that as a path at the time? I never really considered music to be a viable career path. And even to this day, I'm not entirely convinced it is. <laughs> um, uh, you know, it's just like being raised in a, you know, in the household that I was, 
you know, my parents uh, kind of just expected me and my sister to like take a typical well-paying, you know, safe career path. My mom is still convinced that the only way to be successful in life is to get a graduate degree. But um, yeah, I mean, like I, I expected to be a scientist. I expected to be an inventor and an engineer. Um, and, and to some extent, I expected to be an entrepreneur, but I never... I never expected to be a musician. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so 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 then you're uh, you're at Cornell. You're uh, you're studying uh, engineering physics, uh, and so and so. Then what happened next in in uh, when you graduated? I guess. Um, so I guess uh, it was in college that I started with this whole thing that led to where I am today with Viserium. But uh, basically, as part of my major, we needed to take a circuits class um, and. For that circuits class, there was a final project in which the professor sh said, you can basically do whatever you want, um, just make something cool. And he showed some examples of stuff people had done in the past. And some of those were um, music projects, like, you know, like a little button controller where you could press buttons and, and it would play notes and whatnot um, that people had made in the past. So I was like, hey, this is pretty cool. Um, you know, it's like music and engineering, um, which is kind of you know, two of my biggest interests. Uh, so I made a, um, I made a, a, a cello type instrument. The cello mm -hmm. has actually been my favorite instrument um, for a long time. And uh, I wanted to create this like electronic cello that I could play. And it was basically like this thing that had strings and I'm doing air quotes right now because they weren't really strings. They were like these electronic sensors. And then it had this little joystick controller that allowed me to control like the the tone quality of the sound so i could change the volume and the texture of the sound mm -hmm. uh, joystick um and it was thinking about that instrument and how to improve that instrument the next semester that i first came up with the idea of uh the the first version of the gloves which we called the aura mm -hmm. um, and yeah the idea of that was basically to try to create a more expressive instrument um and to uh, basically hold sound as if I could manipulate it as a tangible object in the air. Interesting. And and so and so you, you did so you you did the cello project and then and then you developed a, a glove in the same course or, or was that afterwards? That was afterwards. So um, basically the cello project was basically just two weeks in the circuits class and then after that i was like this is cool i want to keep working on stuff like this so uh, i literally emailed every single electrical engineering professor actually just every science professor in general at, at cornell and and was asking like hey uh do you want to mentor me in an independent study project so i can keep making musical instruments and uh <laughs> one of them eventually got back to me his name is bruce land um, he's this awesome guy who's always wearing a Hawaiian t-shirt <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he's very well liked among the students, but yeah, he was like, yeah, sure. And, um, we, uh, so he agreed to mentor me. So the next semester, uh, I did a four credit, uh, independent study course where I took the cello that I made in the circuits class and I, uh, expanded on it and made it, um, uh, more sophisticated. And then the semester after that, we, uh, started, uh, uh, basically a, a different instrument, which I kind of glossed over because yeah, I'm not particularly sure how relevant it is, but it was like this piano keyboard where instead of piano, where instead of keys, it was like a little sliders to control the volume of every note. Um, and then we also created the first version of the gloves, me and Mike, um, at that semester. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, I can talk more about the story, but I'm not sure how much you want me to talk about it right now versus like later in the podcast. Yeah, no, that's that's good. And Mike, uh, and Mike is your current partner. Yes, so Mike is my music partner, um, and we met at Cornell. We were actually roommates in college, um, kind of through uh, a mutual friend, just who just had a a a good slot in the housing lottery, and then we just ended up as roommates together, um, and that's how we met. Cool. And, and so tell me uh, how, you, so you developed this uh, kind of early prototype at school and then walk me through the path to wh- where, you, you know, how you started there and then how you progressed to, to getting to where you are today. Sure. Yeah. So um, basically um, there's a, and sorry, I'm somewhat distracted right now because they're actually doing some painting outside of my apartment complex right now. Um, so somebody's putting a ladder against my window. <laughs> um, but as soon as that starts, <laughs> that starts creating a lot of sound, I'll, I'll just turn off speakerphone and hopefully it won't be uh, uh, audible. But anyhow, to get back to your question. Um, uh, so I created the first version of the gloves uh, one in one semester, and I brought on Mike basically to help me with that because uh, while I I knew how to do a little bit of software development, I wasn't an expert and Mike was studying computer science. So um, he, uh, I I brought him onto the project to help me with the programming aspect of that. And I did all the hardware, like putting circuits together and actually sewing the glove together. Um, And so that was the first version that we made, which is called the Aura. And the first prototype was pretty terrible. You can find a video of it online, but it was literally like this. It looks like an octopus coming out of my hands. This is how I describe it. It was like, uh, literally, we thought for some reason that the best way to do the motion tracking was to use these uh, game controllers from this golf game. Um, basically, it's like a little, it's like a physical string that comes out of a joystick. So you put this joystick on the ground and there's a string that comes out of the joystick that's retractable. And then the string measures the distance you are from the joystick and like the angle at which the joystick is bent. So it kind of approximates your position that way. Um, So we had three of those for each of our hands because I figured that if we wanted to get the orientation of the hand, we would need three different points. Um, And so there's like this whole octopus looking thing coming out of my hands. And uh, yeah, that was the first version. <laughs> and basically we realized that this was not good looking and it was just really clunky. So um, we started investigating different uh, tracking devices. Um, so I was looking into everything from like optical tracking to magnetic motion trackers. And we landed on uh, a device that was actually designed for medical uses. It was designed for like tracking uh, uh, motion during like guided surgeries where you wouldn't, might not be able to see what you're doing like with your hands directly uh, as a mm. surgeon um and kind of like going along with the theme of emailing every professor um, at cornell to try to get somebody to uh mentor me an independent study i mean these tracking devices that i was looking into were expensive because they were designed for corporations and they, they were running any anywhere from like all the way to fifty thousand, you know to the cheaper ones which might have been five thousand. but as a college student i didn't I have that in my budget. So I literally emailed every single company um, that I looked into and I was like, Hey, I'm working on this project. Uh, Do you want to just send me a device so I can do it? (laughs) And and eventually, and one of them got back to me and they were like, yeah, we'll send you this device. Just send us a video of what you do with it. And uh, yeah, I mean, so yeah, I'm very fortunate that, that they, uh, uh, the company's called Ascension Technologies. So um, in case anyone's looking for a tracking device. (laughs) 
Shout out to Ascension. Perfect. <laughs> and then what? And, and so and and so you're you're doing you're building prototype after prototype at school, and uh, and and then you, and well, I don't want to fast forward you, but but you're you're saying you kind of graduated, and then it was kind of like okay, now what do we do with this, right? Yeah. So after that prototype, we basically the first prototype was this octopus thing that with wires coming out. The second prototype was built with these this magnetic motion tracker, and then the next prototype we built was in another semester um and that basically it was like a combination as a collaboration with the cornell chamber orchestra that we did where we created this whole showcase event worked with a team of students so i brought on like five other computer programmers a fashion designer and an architect to create the next version of the gloves and we debuted that in a concert with the cornell chamber orchestra which was really awesome and kind of brings us full circle back to my orchestra roots because i even <laughs> said like to the director i was like the director of the orchestra i was like I've always wanted to write for a real orchestra and I never thought that like engineering would be the way that I'd get to do it, but um, that's how it happened. And, and maybe, um, you know, so I, so I'm going to include a link to, um, to, to your website and some of your videos um, in the podcast notes, but maybe this would be a good point to just kind of describe a little bit more about what the, you know, what the performance experience is like. I mean, you know, if, you, if you're an audience member, because it's, it, it's, it's much easier to see, but, but, um, but I'm wondering if you could uh, explain it for people to, just to give some context. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so uh, basically what we do as Basirium is we're a music duo, um, and we are musicians first, but we're also technologists, um, and we use this technology that we created, these pair of gloves, and which is actually more like uh, a motion suit is what's it's becoming a, a full body suit but basically we are using virtual reality technology to allow us to control and manipulate electronic sounds just with our motions and gestures so we're basically interacting with virtual air instruments you might call them um, and so yeah we usually have a projection screen behind us too that kind of shows the audience a representation of these instruments that we use um, so it's kind of this whole audio-visual experience, and we also wear these LED, uh, these seats that I mentioned, which have LEDs on them, and uh, everything is reactive and uh, responsive in real time. Uh, so basically, the performance kind of just looks like us, I guess, waving our hands around uh, <laughs> in, in hopefully a musical way. Um, you know, while all, while all these li lights on our bodies and these projection behind us changes, and uh, you know. It's interesting to think about it from an audience perspective because like from a performer's perspective we have like a, a very very intimate understanding of how everything works mm -hmm. um, and what we're doing to control the sound but i think it's always a bit of a, a mystery hopefully a fun mystery for people watching us for the first time to really figure out and understand what exactly is, is going on yeah i guess do people ever think that you're just kind of dancing or, or you know miming the music um or, or do you, or do you kind of explain? Uh, do you try to explain it or educate people like during the performance? I, I imagine that's kind of a, you know, a tough. Uh, I don't know. Like it'd be an interesting yeah. question for you, like yeah. how to do that. Yeah. So we've definitely refined our routine over time to mm -hmm. try to answer as many questions as possible. Um, so the way we start every performance now is um, with this routine that we call Journey Through Time. Um, where we literally kind of take people on a journey through the history of musical instruments, starting from like these ancient tribal drums to like bone flutes to uh, piano and then to the electric guitar and then to the synthesizer and then to uh, 
us and what we're doing now with with music. Um, so basically, it's this routine where you know we start with tribal drums, like I said, and then uh, my partner Mike just demonstrates like air drums in real life, and you can see the drum appear on the projection screen behind him, and you can see his virtual like the virtual representation of his hand striking this drum, and then the sound comes out. Um, so that's like literally air drums is the most basic like musical thing that we can do so i think most people follow it like at least to that you know they're like oh he moved he hit a virtual drum and it made a drum sound got it and then you know i play like this air flute uh and then mike plays this electric guitar like air guitar real air guitar and then and then i play like this synthesized sound and then there's a narration voice throughout this whole thing that says like we are the like in a very dramatic tone we are the next evolution or something like that <laughs> then we start to play actually like the instruments that we tend to use which are more electronic a lot more abstract uh instruments yeah i mean it, first off excellent uh explanation um but even with that excellent explanation it's the type of thing uh you guys gotta see you just gotta check it out um, on their website because the video is even if even if you have that description, the video will just will just blow your mind. It's like any it's it's unlike anything you've ever seen. Um, so I'm gonna rewind you just a bit because I want to just uh, connect the dots between you're graduating and you, you've been working on this cool thing and and you're thinking you know talk, talk us through the decision path you or the decision process you had in in deciding to 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 make a make a go at this as a performer right um yeah i mean so basically mike and i graduated in 2014 and then mike moved to seattle um to work at amazon as a software developer for a little bit um and then i moved to columbus ohio uh, which is where i met claire Coder because i got involved in the entrepreneurship scene in ohio um but i was working uh also as a software developer for a little bit, but also, but later as a kind of like out of this innovation lab um, in the healthcare company, it was actually a pretty cool position. Um, we basically worked on a team um, where we got to evaluate other people's ideas. It was kind of like an internal company incubator. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was uh, really fun for me. Um, so yeah, it's basically uh, three years after we graduated college, I mean, we were walk- working these you know, day jobs, I guess. And for me, I guess, just as someone who's very ambitious and as someone who always wanted to kind of, I guess, do more um, or try to create as much impact as I could, um, you know, I I guess uh, we were starting to get more and more attention around what we had done with the gloves. And I guess in Columbus, Ohio, um, where I moved to, uh, I was doing a lot of demos of the gloves just because people were curious. I would tell people like that I'd made this thing. And so I started to like showcase it to, uh, you know, different tech events uh, and different like music events. Uh, and honestly, I was just really blown away by the response um, to to what I had created. And um, we had people reach out to us from the press, like Upworthy and, and now this who wanted to cover us. So we got some some news coverage um, around that. And uh, we were actually thinking about um, at first doing a startup. We actually wanted to create a virtual reality startup where we were gonna take what we had created with the gloves and port it onto essentially virtual reality devices and just make it a software that people could download to control music in the air. 
Um, and that was actually uh, the direction we were looking at for a little bit. We went to TechCrunch Disrupt um, to, to demo like this prototype that we had built. Um, but I think uh, I think there was a couple things that changed our minds. One was a, a practical analysis of the virtual reality landscape, and um, you know I think this was at a time when VR was being like really overly hyped, and we were probably about to get into the trial of disillusionment or possibly already there, you know, if you guys are familiar with the hype cycle. Um, and uh, sorry, you say something? No, I just said, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with that. Right. Um, so basically, we did, we thought the VR market was not actually going to take off nearly as quickly as uh, people thought, um, and that it would be probably difficult to probably be difficult to get investment or to get traction as a startup, given that the user base of virtual reality is very small. Mm -hmm. And a combination of that practical factor, but also just us being musicians and being passionate about music and wanting to create music and just like thinking about our lives. Um, and, you know, if we were going to take this risk and try to like try something new, we, you know, we might as well do something that, that we cared about and, and wanted to, wanted to accomplish. And, uh, yeah, so we decided to just move away from doing the, the the product route and just we're like, hey, what if we literally literally just performed with our device and just made a name for ourselves as musicians? Um, back then, we thought of thought of it almost as a strategic uh, move, being like, okay, so we could start off as musicians performing with this virtual reality technology, and then we can gain a fan base, and then once VR actually takes off, then we can use our fan base to sell sell this product. Um, but it's definitely shifted now to basically just, I mean, we're not trying to predict that far ahead anymore. We're just trying to focus on music and, and just make our own original music right now. And, uh, what's it like, I mean, going from working an office job to becoming a performer, how is it, how's, how's your life different? Um, man, it's, I mean, it's, it's pretty different. I mean, just, <laughs> I mean, we both quit our jobs. We were lucky enough to have savings. So we had savings to live off of for a little bit. Um, and we moved to Las Vegas. Um, we moved in together in a condo out here. Um, and honestly, I mean, just like the day-to-day, -day, I mean, there's no boss. <laughs> we uh, manage our own time. And I mean, honestly, I feel like our days like are super varied. So depending on what we're, what we're trying to get done, that week or that month, you know, leading up to basically we did an audition for America's Got Talent, which is what actually we uh, was the reason we created that video that you probably saw the one with our LED suits uh, and the projection screens. So leading up to that audition, we were working hardcore on the technology and just focusing on making the suits and making these visuals. And after that was done, um, you know, and unfortunately, we didn't actually get selected to audition in front of the judges. But after that was done, um, we shifted back into focusing on our music because you know now that we've made this upgrade to our technology and our visuals we needed to uh, we knew that we needed to put out more original music and so right now our focus is working on an album that we're going to be putting out this summer which is going to be our first album um so a lot of our time right now is just literally just making music and jamming with the gloves and trying to figure out what sounds good and what doesn't and and for for those who've kind of uh fantasized about becoming a, a musician or a performer what do you what do you love about you know your lifestyle and and what and and then the flip side what's hard about it yeah i mean i uh i would hardly say that our story is the typical musician's journey 
Um, but I mean, definitely, I think we share some struggles that most musicians would go through. And, and that first struggle, I think, is just understanding the business of music. Um, because it's one thing to produce music as a passion, and the, it's another thing to really try to make money from it and to really view your music as a product and something that you need to sell and distribute and uh, acquire, acquire fans. Um, so I think, I think uh, it's a double-edged sword. It's great to work on music. It's great to be able to just really spend time crafting sounds and songs. Um, but it's definitely, uh, it's definitely not easy. It's not for the faint of heart um, to try to become a full-time musician because you're going to need to build yourself off the ground uh, with your fan base and figure out how to make money. And, and money in the music industry is, is very different nowadays. It's, you don't get a lot of money anymore from selling albums. You just get your income from shows and merchandise. And uh, yeah, it's a lot to figure out. Gotcha. I mean, it, it, it sounds, it sounds more like being an entrepreneur than, than it does like being an artist or, or at least what people <laughs> think of being an artist. <laughs> Right. I mean, like, yeah, basically. And, and that's where like my background in the startup community was really helpful. Um, cause I actually enjoy thinking about the business side to it and the marketing stuff. Um, so I kind of enjoy the balance between working on this artistry and also the, the business side. But, uh, I mean, I can see and understand very much how people might not be into that. You know, like my partner, Mike is like, as much as I try to convince him that marketing is actually really interesting. He's just like, Nope. <laughs> at all. Um, uh, so like I can definitely see how musicians would be, you know, musicians who kind of just quit their job and go try to chase a dream or, you know, or waiting tables or something like, uh, you know, just cause they want to focus on, on their artistry. Uh, I feel like, I feel like to really be successful, um, you either have to get really, really lucky, which I feel like um, is harder nowadays um, than ever before, or you have to just do it yourself and you have to make music your business and figure out how to market yourself and, and get those fans and start playing shows. What are the one or two things you've learned you know, that stand out in your mind uh, by going through this process, taking this you know, big risk? Um, and another way of maybe asking that is like, how have you grown personally? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I uh, I think that I mean I I think I've grown a lot as as a person through this process, and I think one of the the biggest ways is just uh, actually a couple ways. Um, the first one I'll talk about is just uh, being a lot more practical about the execution of ideas and the execution of I guess a business. Um, you know, when I was in Columbus, I was still very like the bright eyed, naive entrepreneur where I was like, yeah, I'm going to change the world. You know, like I have this idea. It's so good. And, you know, I was an idea person and I was still an idea person. Like I love ideas. But I think once you get into the weeds of trying to execute an idea, you understand that the idea doesn't really have that much value inherently. And that, you know, it's all about these micro decisions that you make along the way that, that determine your your success or failure. And um yeah, I think that's one thing I've learned um, is to appreciate the the practical reality of executing an idea. Uh, another thing I've learned is, um, I guess, perseverance. Um, so when we came to Vegas, we kind of gave ourselves this unrealistic timeline where we were like, we're, it's going to be a one-year experiment. We're going to see how it goes for one year, and we're going to decide 
you know, what's going to happen after that. And, you know, in our minds, we, we may have thought that we were going to like blow up in one year. And uh, that, that is not what happened. Um, we've gotten a lot of traction. I mean, a lot more than I probably was actually even imagining in a very like, like probably in the back of my mind, I had this fantasy about blowing up, but I don't know how much I actually believed it would happen. But so in terms of what we've actually achieved, I feel like we've gotten f way less far than my fantasy mind, but like actually further than like, like probably a part of me that that was kind of ginger or gingerly approaching this like year or like tentative about it, thought we would. So, um, but I guess to tie it back into perseverance, um, it, what I realize is that from this year and the amount of traction that we've gotten, like I, my mindset used to be, okay, if we're successful, I'll still be working on this in three years or two years. But I feel like my mindset is, it has flipped. And now I believe that if I'm working on this in three years, I will be successful. Uh, just because of the way that I've seen like building a fan base and gaining traction, I feel like is literally as simple as like, it's just like building a sandcastle. It's like you literally just take a bucket of sand every day and just move it from one place and move it to another. And if you just spend enough time, like every day, just gaining more fans, gaining more traction, gaining more views, I feel like it's just, uh, it's a very physical thing that you just have to build up and, and uh, make successful. Right, right. Slow and steady. And as long as you kind of stay in the game, um, you can, you can kind of get there. I, as I, I'd see what you're saying on, on kind of flipping the, uh, flipping the argument because I think, yeah, a lot of people probably view it like, well, if I'm, if I'm getting the reaction I want, then I'll view myself as successful. Uh, and, and, and that will be the, that will be the signal that tells me to keep going. But it's, it, but I think what I'm hearing you saying is like, no, if I keep going, I will be successful because I'll be building this, this, this thing over time. And uh, is, is that, is that a good way to paraphrase it? I, I just want to yeah, make yeah, sure I'm understanding exactly it. What I'm, that's awesome. exactly what I'm, what I'm saying. Awesome. Um, so yeah, that's definitely been uh, a big learning experience. Awesome. Uh, so I think, um, we're going to transition into the rapid fire part of the podcast. Um, but, but again, I encourage everybody to check out the Sirium uh, and their website and, and we'll, we'll, we'll put a, put a plug at the end um, with, with all the, the ways to follow you and whatnot, but getting back to Ray Lee. So obviously you have a lot of fun with, uh, with, with your work and, and, and your, your art and what you do. But do you do anything on the side for fun? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, uh, so I'm going to tie this in with what you said with your previous question, which um, is what I've learned this past year, because I think I was going to touch on something, but didn't want to totally ramble your head off. But I think this will uh, I think this relates. So sure. when I was in Columbus, Ohio, I was just all over the place, like. Basically, I described my like whole life tra life trajectory as I was super shy and in my head as a kid, and then like in college I broke out of my shell and just and started being more outgoing. And then in Columbus, Ohio, I just like went all out and I was just like trying to make every idea in my head in my head happen. So I was doing everything from selling T-shirts, like I'm trying to make a T-shirt company, um, <laughs> to uh, making YouTube videos. Like I would make like YouTube prank videos and social experiments um, to uh, <laughs> you know, trying to start this like social uh, entrepreneurship venture with some friends. Um, and just basically 
all over the place working on all sorts of things. And and I honestly, I feel like that's kind of my description of fun. <laughs> like, I like to work on things and it's uh, very fun to work on things with other people as well. Um, so if I'm part of a team making some something happen, um, I think uh, I think I get a kick out of, yeah, just like putting something into the world. And I also get a kick out of, um, I guess, like with the prank videos and the YouTube videos, just like, you know, getting like interesting reactions from people. Um, so well, well, give me an example. What, what was like one of the pranks or one of the social experiments that you recorded? Yeah, so um, one of my favorites uh, was basically called How to Get a Table. And uh, basically, we, me and two friends would go into restaurants while someone was filming and we would go up to the host and be like, hey, can we get a table? Um, and they'd be like, okay, yeah, sure. Follow me. And when they brought us to the table, I would like take out this tape measure and I would just start sizing it up and I'd like measure it and be like, oh, what material is this? Like, oh, I think this, I think this is a good table. And then I just tell my friends, like, guys, I think this one will do. And then they would just pick up the table and we would try to walk up. And then like the host would be like, what, what are you doing? And, and I'd be like, wait, I thought you said we could get a table. <laughs> um, so that's one example, I mean, of a prank. Um, one example of like more like a positivity uh, type video, which actually is the video that got the most traction that I've ever ever made, um, was called Fishing for People. Um, basically, we went to this bridge um, that went over a sidewalk in Columbus uh, along this river where a lot of people walked by and we brought fishing poles, but and we stood at the top of the bridge and dangled down uh, stuff from those fishing poles to people walking by but instead of like bait like worms or whatnot we had a card like an envelope with a card uh and uh, and a piece of chocolate inside of each of those envelopes um and yeah that was that was a lot of fun to do um and uh that was one of the most successful videos i've made what uh so i, I i'll probably try to link to this as well but what uh give us a sense of what would happen like would some people just kind of ignore it and think it was a prank and some people would open it like yeah i mean it was actually pretty interesting um and that's okay another thing that i tried to start like the statistics blog basically like pop statistics about like interesting phenomenon like keeping track of like how many people give money to a homeless person or keeping track of how many people like interact with a prank or like an experiment like we were doing but um yeah it was pretty interesting to know the different reactions because i'd say like i'd say it was pretty half and half i'd say like half the people were just like Honestly, I feel like half the people didn't even see it. Like they were literally just like so focused on running or pretended like they were focused on running. Yeah. And they just you know kept walking by or riding their bike. I'd say the other half, like who actually paid attention, like half of those people were like, okay, I have no idea what's going on, so I'm just going to walk back past you. And then probably like uh, the other half, so basically a quarter of the people, I'd say, like actually interacted and um, pulled down the envelope and uh, you know, open the thing and inside the card, uh, inside the envelope, there's a card with like this positive message on it that said like, hey, you know, like you're awesome or do something cool today. And what was what, what I think was pretty cool about what we did is that after somebody got a card, we would have somebody with a clipboard come up to them and they would give them a blank card. So that person who just got a card could then write a message for the next person. And we would put that into the envelope. Um, and yeah, that's how we got our messages. <laughs> what a cool idea! I, yeah, I definitely want to try to try to link to that. Um, so so send me a, send me a link after this. Um, yeah, we'll do. 
Another question for you is, what has been your favorite mistake? Um, and by that, I mean uh, something that, you know, a mistake you made or, or, or something negative that happened to you that uh, over time ended up yielding some kind of interesting insight or some positive outcome. Ooh, that's interesting. Um, huh. Uh, um, I feel like, um, I feel like, uh, okay, I, I need to think about this for a second. I feel like, Honestly, a lot of my life has been spent trying to avoid making mistakes. And I think one thing that I've learned and grown to appreciate it is to try to like not be so, uh, so I guess like anal about my life and try to make sure everything's <laughs> perfect and make sure I get straight A's. Um, and, and before my mindset was very much like, okay, I have to kind of try to find and live like the perfect life and not make mistakes and go on and be like a physics major and then become an engineer and then work you know, and in, I don't know, invent something less exciting than perpetual motion and, and you know, change the world. But I think what I've learned is just that, like, I can't predict my life and it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay to try and it's okay to fail. Because, like, I mean, I studied physics in school, then I was a software developer for a year and then I worked in market research for a year and now I'm, I'm a musician. So, I mean, like, <laughs> you could say that, uh, you could say that, like, going to school for physics was a mistake because I didn't actually use it at all. Um, but, uh, I don't know if I can think of one particular mistake that I'm thinking of at the moment where I'm, I was like, I'm glad I made this mistake. Um, but I guess that's just my general uh, response to making mistakes. Got it. Got it. No, that's helpful. Um, let's see. Um, is there a favorite quote that, uh, that you think about a lot or you live by, or, or maybe another way of asking that would be like, if you could put something on a, a billboard that millions of people could see, you know, what would mm. that, what would that message be? Interesting. So funny enough, I actually like to quote myself. <laughs> so I used to keep like this journal of like quotes that I would just write. Um, uh, not to say that the quote that I would broadcast to millions of people would be one of my own. But um, I mean, I think lately uh, I just was rereading this, this poem by Robert Frost that I'm sure everybody knows, you know, the road less traveled by. Um, so I feel like that poem is uh, particularly relevant to, to my life. And I think it's a, it's a good message, but um, also our, uh, our uh, tagline as musicians is forge the future. And what we're really trying to do as musicians is be more than just a, a music duo, but try to be this brand that's very aspirational and um, trying to show people that, Hey, if there's, you know, that you're in control of your reality, that if there's not a way to do something, um, figure out a way to make it happen and uh, create your own reality. So maybe I would put forge the future on this giant billboard and then just put a, a little link to our Instagram handle. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that sounds like a good, uh, a good message and, and a good way to end it. Um, so last thing is how can people find Viserium? How can people follow, find and follow you? Uh, yeah. So if you want to check us out, um, what we're doing with Viserium, um, we're on all the standard social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and on all of those platforms, we are Viserium, which is spelled V-E-S-E-R-I-U-M. 
Um, I don't really know if I have that much of an online presence for people to find me uh, as a person, but uh, yeah, definitely check out our music page. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, I think that about wraps it up. Ray, just want to thank you again uh, you know, for being on the podcast, for sharing your views and, uh, and, and for doing what you do and, and also for, uh, for coming to Near Future Summit, which is, is uh, a really incredible event that, uh, that our firm helps, helps sponsor. I'm really excited to, to meet you there and, uh, and see your performance in person. Um, and I really encourage everybody to check out what you're doing because it's, uh, it's fascinating. Um, and it's, uh, it's uh, like I said, it's one of the, it's, it's one of the most truly unique and uh, kind of inspiring uh, things that I've seen recently that really caught my attention. So I encourage everybody to check it out. So, so, and also most importantly, or equally important, uh, thank you for contributing music to, uh, to this, to this Epic Human podcast. So Thank you again, Ray, and uh, thanks for everybody for listening. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me, and uh, I had fun. Awesome. All right. Talk soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Epic Human Podcast. Please remember to like and subscribe to this podcast on whatever app you happen to be using. And if you want to keep up to date on the latest Epic Human Podcasts, please follow us on Twitter or Facebook at Epic Human Pod. And if you have any ideas for guests or feedback on the show, please reach out. I would love to hear from you. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.